I was going to start this now. All right, so we're, I, I mean, it's uh, it's inauguration day, so we decided to do another podcast the week after we did the last one. Uh, we have uh, Bill again, uh, Dr. Suzanne Chad is with us again, and Dr. Phil Barker is with us again. So this is this is a big one. I should um, I should note we're uh, convening in the uh, hotel in Moscow because we figured that was an appropriate place to, <laughs> yes. to have our. I have my fur hat on. Yes, my make. I'm ready. Yet. Um, so Phil, you were talking about something interesting. Uh, I mean, you just want to go into that because that that was probably a good point to go into. I mean, we've all seen the speech at this point and some of the aftermath. Um, yeah, I, I mean, go for it. Is that so? Wait, which part do you want me to talk about? The uh, words that have never been used before. Yeah, or the, yes. yeah. yeah, I like that one. <laughs> so, here, so Washington, the Washington Post published a list of words that were said for the first time in any U.S. inaugural address. Um, these are in alphabetical order, and here, here they are. As of today, there's so many. There has to be an alphabetical order. <laughs> it, it, this gives a nice sense of like the, the tone of the speech, right? Here they are: bleed, carnage, depletion, disrepair, flush. Infrastructure, Islamic, lady, lady, <laughs> lady. Said before. <laughs> I don't know who he was talking but, about. Yeah, Landscape, ripped, rusted, sad, solidarity, sprawl, stealing, stolen, subsidized tombstones. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Trapped, trillions, unrealized, unstoppable, urban, and windswept. So it's like, it's very much, it's, it's like very post-apocalyptic. Yeah. You know, a couple of things. One, you, the, the word gang wasn't in that list, was it? No. So that means another president has used the 80s, word gang. 90s, probably a Reagan, yeah, okay. maybe a Clinton. Yeah. I'd have to look that up, mm-hmm. of course. So for me, the line of the speech was, uh, the American carnage stops right here and stops right now. (laughs) Carnage. He he paints a picture of, like, just this absolutely terrible state that America is in. It's very, it's very shocking to hear. I mean, even, like, even to people who voted for him and think that America is not doing well, like, it seems to go against reality in lots of different ways. Well, this is what he did during the campaign, and we were all sort of shocked that it was going to work, was that he we never heard a presidential candidate be successful, nor talk about at all, about how terrible the state of America is. It's always, mm-hmm. there are things that are redeemable, here's how we're going to make it better, but to, to basically bash everything about America, and that resonated, and then now did the same thing with maybe more eloquent language in, the state, in an inaugural address is, uh, to me, still shocking. It felt like a campaign speech. It was exactly a campaign yeah, speech. Same yeah, exactly it was no different. And, and speaking more directly to that group that got him elected, so this rural, white, working class. I mean, there was uh, this reference of, of protectionism, uh, America first, all of that. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it was authentic to his campaign. But, the, I mean, these, realistically, as, as, you know, radical as the speech was, the points that he was making, those weren't points that weren't unheard of even before the campaign. We know that you know, elements of, of major inner cities are, are mm-hmm. significantly in, in strife, especially, you know, we're mm-hmm. broadcasting outside of Chicago. Right. We know the infrastructure is a giant mess and should have been dealt with decades ago at this yeah. point. Mm-hmm. So what, I mean, as, as much as I do think it's a campaign speech, I don't think it's necessarily wrong. This would be a question for Suzanne. Even though, yes, absolutely, right? And, and Presidents become partisans once they get in office, they pursue their agenda. But it seems to me that these inaugural addresses tend to be more compassionate, more uh, you know, pulling everybody together, even if the policy isn't going to be that way. Mm-hmm. This was so overtly 
negative still, mm -hmm. but he tried to twist it in a way that sounded uplifting. And I guess if that's what you were listening for, if mm -hmm. you were wearing the red hat in the crowd, you heard that because you heard that for the yeah. last year and a half before he was elected. Mm -hmm. But for, for either those of us who maybe aren't pleased that he's president or for even just those, those of us that have followed, as Bill was saying, along with inaugural addresses over time, and not just the overwhelmingly uplifting inaugural addresses of Obama, yeah. it's, it's never been um, so blatantly... Um, Apocalyptic, I think, is the word that you mm. use, Phil, and and so that still is is. There's nothing in there, even though he used the word solidarity, that really uplifted and made people feel like, oh, we can we can be one again, yeah. right? It, it, no. Very nationalistic. Yes. Uh, very America first. Uh, yeah. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Uh, you know, we talked about the forgotten men. Uh, you know, it really was. It was this. I'm connecting, and this is. This is what my administration is going to look like. Yeah. And to Nick's point about the 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 um, you know the the infrastructure in the state of particular urban areas, that what you say is one hundred percent true. And it's not that that has never been talked about in in an inaugural address, but I think, and I will say this just from my perspective, that it's the juxtaposition of those words with a lot of the other stuff that was said that makes it feel like he threw that in there just to be like, hey, brown people. Yeah. I'm yeah. only going to talk about you for like the five seconds now, and then everything else is about the white working class man. So uh -huh. here's this bone I'm throwing to you. Yeah. Because he, of course, he loves yeah. he loves black people. Um, so <laughs> I, I think while again, while what you're saying isn't wrong, I think when you look at it for me, when I look at it with the rest of the speech, it just feels so disingenuous That's and, fair. and and patronizing. Sure. So as as political scholars and and scientists, what do you see as the purpose of a presidential inaugural address. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. We look at Phil because yeah. we've been talking about You're asking the wrong person. I do. I, I study Europe, but um, <laughs> I mean, typically you're right. The typically the thing you're doing is you're trying to. This is sort of marking the end of the campaign season, right? Where you mm -hmm. have this deeply divisive political um, uh, context, and you're trying to. I mean, this is this is the the launch of your first hundred days, where you're trying to put your plans into action and so this is normally something where you're trying to bring people together which is why i think it was so startling it wasn't necessarily what he i mean there was stuff that he said that was startling to me and we can talk about that but it, it was more the contrast to how this is normally gone in the past he was not building he was he wasn't making an attempt to sort of build bridges to pass his legislation he the message was get on board or screw you basically mm -hmm. right um all right. Well, before uh, so, he even all right. So here's here's my my caveat on that. Seventy members of Congress decided to not attend, mm -hmm. which is unheard of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right. So it wasn't even because of his speech or anything. They just decided they weren't on board anyways. So mm -hmm. why would he try and reach out to those people then? Well, so that's a really good point, and this is something I think that might be. Um, exclusively difficult for him is that once you become the president there is this game of particularly playing against congress who's going to be the bigger person because it's a, all the relationship between congress and the president is it's a giant game of chicken mm -hmm. and who's going to flinch first and we saw this throughout the obama administration with the government shutdown and with healthcare and all these things so in some ways i think this message that's being sent to him is you have so blatantly disrespected either me my party who i am as a person mad constituents depending on who these people are that they represent that that it does me no good either electorally or personally to be on board with anything that you have to say and anything that you want to do, especially mm. because 
it seems as though he's just going to steamroll stuff through either unilaterally or with executive orders, which would be similar, mm-hmm. or because uh, he doesn't understand how the process works. Um, and I th- again, I think this is going to be exclusively hard for Trump because this is going to be him having to maybe at some point put his tail between his legs and concede, and he has now experienced with that. And, you know, <laughs> to your to your point, Nick, I, I think that's that's right. And it could come back to bite Democrats. You know, I, I was thinking about it this morning. There's a difference between disagreeing with the candidate and disagreeing, you know, seeing him as an illegitimate president. Right. And when you don't show up, and I, I mean, everybody has the right to show up or not show up. I think that's fine. But when you when you don't show up, you're saying he is, uh, you know, he is not a legitimate president. Then you're questioning that institution. Right. I would rather question the man to say, Correct. let's talk about his own inadequacies. But I'm still showing up right. and watching him get inaugurated and then bring right. that criticism. You're but, part of that system. It's the peaceful transfer yes. of power. Right. And it's do it, your job exactly. And so my fear is that this creates a dynamic where it's now okay to question the legitimacy. Mm-hmm. Of legitimately elected presidents. That's, but that uh, happened. Yeah. That happened all through Obama's eight years. Oh, that's right. But right? it was wrong. But it was and wrong. it was wrong then. Yeah, and right. I'm not suggesting that it's yeah. right now. But this is not something that the Trump administration can say. Oh, look, we're you know we have no respect from the congressional Democrats. It's like, well, turn around, fair play. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we watched this happen the other way for eight years. Yes, um, and I think one thing to go. So I, I did some homework, Nick. First time homework on, on, on the, the podcast here. I went back and looked at George W. Bush's 2000 inaugural address. Mm. Uh, so this is, again, coming out of a very contentious uh, political environment, in many ways similar to what we have today. And I, as you read through this, it is gushing with this idea of inclusion. And it feels like oh, Barack Obama, he talked about telling the American story, the story of a slave-holding society that became a servant to freedom, the story of a power that went into a world protect but not possess. I mean, he goes on and, I mean, it really was. He says that everyone belongs, that everyone deserves a chance, that no insignificant person was ever born. And throughout the speech, it is about inclusion. And I, it, it strikes a, a contrast between Trump, who didn't feel that uh, that it's need. Great rhetoric. And if he even ever said any of that, yeah. 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 My response to to you, Nick, is that I, I totally understand what you're saying. Like, there's like this human response, which is to say, "Screw you!" Right? Like, why am I going to reach out to you if you're not reaching That's out my to me? Favorite. But there's also this. <laughs> like, if you're trying to, um, you know, he he has to get legislation passed, right? And the, the numbers are simply that he has to have votes, and and by not express extending any sort of hand he's not doing himself any favors right so if i there's a difference between saying like you know if if you and trump are in the room and you're talking like person to person there's this kind of screw them but if you and trump are in the room and you're talking political strategy there's like a whole different approach so even if it's not genuine there's like you've got to make that gesture right Right. That's where the, the fighting with like John Lewis is bizarre. Right. And, like, even if you hate, I, I, first of all, I, I I I have tremendous respect for John Lewis. But even if you hate John Lewis, you know you respond to that tweet by saying, you know, John Lewis has the right to his opinion, and I hope I can win him over. Right, and that like. That's how you do it, not not this, like, John Lewis is a racist and a, <laughs> screw him. I'm not approach. convinced that he like, knew who John Lewis was mm-hmm. in the first place. Do you, Phil, do you think that he pays a penalty for, for doing that? I, mean, I, I agree with you. I think it's, I, I look at that and I say, it's absurd. And it's the same thing that he did to the Khan family, where you say, like, no, 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 you, you can't do this. But there never seems to be a penalty for that. I think, um... I think, that, and this is just me, mm-hmm. you know, this is not me based on evidence that I've looked at, this is just my speculation, yeah. Yeah. Um, that yes, he pays a penalty, but only with a certain 
portion of the population, right? The, the ones supporters. that haven't he that he's yeah. never going to win over in the first place. What, the ones that were smashing windows and got pepper sprayed and blocking people from getting to the yep. inauguration. That's right. Those Nick, people. That's, that's democracy, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> that's peaceful. Peaceful today. assembly. Sure. Several of my family members posted an article about how John Lewis is a racist, and if you really want a civil rights icon, um, Clarence Thomas is who you should look for, right? So they're eating it up, right? That's like <laughs> for his base, like that's it. Too many things can't. I, I still think that's at most a third of the population. And if you want to be successful and to actually pass legislation, you've got to, to some extent, or at least if you want to have you know more than a few years of, of power, you've got to you've got to have a broader reach than that. But the only thing that I would say to that, this is me talking as a Congress scholar who can't get that hat off, is that there's particularly with House districts because they're drawn so homogeneously, there's no incentive for congressional Republicans, especially if we look at which of those counties or districts Trump won, which is probably, I have to look at the numbers, but I'm sure more than Romney won, um, and he won a lot in 2012, that with no crossover between the Democratic base and Trump's base, there's no incentive at all for any of the Democrats, particularly in the House, to work at all with him. And then we look at the Senate because most of the procedures now require 60 votes. Mm -hmm. That is where he may have to reach out to some of those congressional Democrats, excuse me, Senate Democrats, He's going to have problems with that because there's some Senate Republicans who won't work with him. So even if the House, and this is how the institutions are designed, the House fast-tracks things, it's all based on majoritarianism, and everything gets obstructed and deliberated in the Senate. And this is going to be, this is going to be a huge problem, especially if John McCain is going to continue to put these lines in the sand. This is going to be a problem for him, even if he extends a ridiculously, um, disingenuous olive branch especially i'm guessing there'll be a quick wave where the republicans get everything they want like the short-term stuff yeah and that'll happen and then it'll get bogged down in that ugliness when Uh, budget when the when the budget really comes we're going to get an actual budget it's going to be so i i mean i i think i think from an optics perspective i i think he's 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 split down the middle and phil you were even talking about during the congressional luncheon after the inauguration, he was much more conciliatory to uh-huh. everyone, including the Clintons. Yeah, so I mean, huge standing ovation, round of applause. He went over and shook Hillary Clinton's hand, talked about how much he respected him and respected her, and it was all about like working together and we're all on the same team. And like, I don't, that's, I don't know why crazy. he would say that at a. Where it's not, it's not on TV. Nobody sees that. Because he still that. thinks he's in campaign mode. He still thinks he's in campaign mode. He's like, I, he, he wants to continue to campaign across America while he's president. So he can't say that in public. No, he's never, ever going to say anything never. like that in public. Never. I think he's smart enough to know, though, like we've been talking about, mm-hmm. that he has to work within the confines of this system. Right. And these are the people that he's going to have to deal with. That's right. So, I, I, yeah. I don't know. I yeah. think he's... I think he's kind of smarter than you guys are credit for. Yeah. <laughs> but so, but what's so funny to me is that we we I talked about this, and I I don't remember, I don't think it was on the podcast. We talked about this at least with Bill before that you know Trump made such a point to talk about Hillary Clinton on two personalities and two faces. Yeah. One when she talked to donors, one when she talked to Goldman Sachs, and a whole different one in public. Welcome to politics, my friend. I mean, mm-hmm. he's doing the same thing on day one as being president, and yeah. so I, we'll have to see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. So going back to Clarence Thomas, did anybody else think he was about to cry? <laughs> it sounded like he yeah. he was. I don't know if he was like so connected with Trump. Yeah. Or, or I mean that 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 was more than he has said in a Supreme Court hearing in forever. Yeah. Uh, but no, it sounded like I thought he was going to cry. Yeah. It was bizarre. Yeah. It was um, a little bit of a stammer there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what's going to happen there. 
with the Supreme Court. That's a whole nother. Yeah, that's a whole nother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alex for that one. We sure. Alex on yeah. So I, since you're talking, since we, I mean, kind of on this note, I, I, I'd be interested to hear what you think. I, I think he, in the speech that he gives, and in this approach that he's given, I, I think. So Nick, you're saying you think he's smarter than we give him credit for. I think he screwed up in some ways, <laughs> yes. in the sense of like. Please continue. I like this line. I exclusive. like this line. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, he, he has a challenge here, right? By painting, he has come to power and he has gotten all of this success and support by essentially painting America as a disaster and has promised that he is the only person who can fix it. Mm-hmm. That ends now, right? Like, he yeah. can't continue making that claim. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can. He will probably to some extent. But, but like, you've, you've framed this now so that you, you can't, while you're in power, claim that America is a disaster and that's why people should vote for you, right? Because he's responsible at this point. Depends I on if Congress works. Do you think find him at all? I mean, do you? I don't know that anything sticks to him. But I mean, that's my initial thought when I hear that sort of speech. Yes, he's magical. Well, he's he's the new re, he's sort of the reincarnation of what we call the Teflon president. Mm-hmm. We call we talked about mm-hmm. this. This is literature from the 1990s talking about the Teflon president. And I, in some ways, what you're saying is it's sort of reincarnation in very different ways of this new Teflon president. But it's harder for him to blame. So like you think about the campaign and even the speech today, it was blaming previous administrations, blaming the government, elitism, all of that. Mm -hmm. He can't do that anymore. He owns this now and the Republicans own this. So they've got to do something. I think you're right, Phil. If they, he doesn't have to do a lot, but if he does, if if he brings some jobs back, he's got to have something he can hang his hat on. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, this group that voted for Obama twice yep. and then voted for Trump will quickly turn right. when Joe Biden runs in four oh, years, right? God um, bless you. <laughs> that's that's it, right? I mean, that, that's the Democrats. I think I just got to chill. They need a new Joe Biden, a younger Joe Biden. Uh, that's Yeah, I, I think short term, he's great. Long term, if he doesn't get a couple victories, this this comes back. Because he can't, it doesn't work just to blame the media. No. Uh, and Democrats Which for him before. Yeah, the yeah. Democrats are weak now. They have no power. Well, what's interesting is, you know, we, we think about what the, what the turnaround looks like for him to get stuff done. He's got about 18 months before midterm swing, right, before the, the swing of the midterm elections comes. He's got about 18 months to, to do stuff before the congressional Republicans are going to be running for re-election and having to figure out, do we hitch to the bandwagon or do we get off of the bandwagon? Yeah. I don't think that he understands any of that, but that's for other people to talk to him about. So what can he get done yeah. in 18 months with the Congress he has with obstructionist Senate Democrats and maybe some obstructionist Senate Republicans mm-hmm. because they are going to be up for re-election, right? So what can he actually get done to get these victories you're mm-hmm. talking about so he has some leverage? Yeah. And I, to be honest, don't exactly know what that looks like because once they repeal Obamacare, whatever this like replacement that potentially exists looks like yeah. may not be a slam dunk through Congress. So, I mean, let's, let's talk about the Obamacare thing because it, it, at least from most of the polls, he's going out with some of the highest approval ratings of any like outgoing 60% now and a, a crazy increase in the support for Obamacare yeah. right before he leaves. Okay. So do congressional Republicans do they completely repeal it, or do they pick and choose elements of it at this point? Can they conceivably keep their promise of repealing the entire thing? No. <laughs> well, because that's just what an institution is. It has become its own institution. Obamacare is its own institution now. So you can't just get rid of an institution that exists, mm-hmm. and then it like it never like it never existed. Mm-hmm. So no. no. I, I, think I, the, am. I, I think I think in the House... I, they want to, right? Yes, uh, I think they want to really badly. Yeah, and I and I think the Senate, 
the, I don't know anything. The Senate rules are confusing, but they only need fifty for fifty one for this. They did it through budget. They through, did it in a in a through numbers. Procedural, yes, it's, it's always a, with numbers. It's it's yeah. It's this is this is not a philip. <laughs> this is just a. This is why they did it this way. They did the midnight vote, and it's all for yeah. the budget. So all they needed was a majority because they know they can't get sixty votes. There's some debate on that. Like all the financial aspects, they can deal with through budget reconciliation. But yes. some of the stuff, like the like the, some of the um, more policy oriented, the you know twenty staying on your parents till you're twenty six, right. and the pre existing conditions and whatnot. There's some debate about whether they can do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? But they might because, they might keep those. There's a though. debate about whether or not that's technically budgetary or not because they have budgetary implications, but they're not. That's right. I don't I don't know all the nuances of that, but I know that there's some debate. It depends on how if the word tax shows up anywhere in it, it automatically ends up as a budget issue. Budget issue. Mm-hmm. So if they write it specifically and, and carefully enough, then they can get it through whatever committee and through any procedure that they want. Mm-hmm. So here, here's my prediction that I've come to in the last couple of days. I don't know; this may be totally wrong. Um, I, so with the swing in popularity, right? You see all the, there's this classic like loss aversion in place, right? People who didn't like Obamacare until they find out they're losing it and realize what it means to them. Um, so I think it's going to become too costly to repeal it in a lot of ways. And I think the sneaky secret way to do it is to let it die. I think they're going to basically cut some funding for it. You'll encourage, um, Certain insurance companies, you know, they've already started withdrawing from certain states. I think that you're going to see it essentially wither. They'll let it sort of wither to where it's not useful anymore. Like it's not just what it was originally planned to. And then making, then repealing it is less of a controversial thing, right? If you sort of kill But how it long for, does that take, though, right? I mean... I see. I totally see your point. This is a way. This is sort of like the idea of the not signing a bill and not vetoing it and letting it just kind of become law passively, right? It's that we don't do anything, but then this like thing magically happens and we don't have to take responsibility for it. And I think that that's a really good strategy. I just wonder, like, how long does it take till it becomes non-functioning? And where are we in the electoral cycle? And yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I don't. That's and good, if I never the, if about the that Democrats have, are all aware. They will be prepared for this. They will have stories of as soon as things are repealed, somebody who dies because of this decision, right? That's I mean, right. it's going to be over-the-top stuff. That's right. And it, I think Republicans, if, if I'm a Republican, I'm worried, to Nick's point, I'm worried about this decision mm-hmm. because I want to I want to pull away where I can say, like, we took the worst part of Obamacare away, but, you know, we've, we now own it in a better way. If they repeal it, it's just a nightmare. Well, yeah. especially because they don't... I mean, Rand Paul apparently wrote a new... Healthcare bill. I have not seen this. I don't know what it looks like, but if they don't have anything to replace it, and people, twenty million people, legitimately lose their health insurance overnight, and those people have found out, yeah, Trump voters have found out that that's their health insurance. They're gonna die, Suzanne. They will die. They will die. Literally die. They will literally die. At least a couple of them. And you know, because death panels are part of Obamacare, so this is something that we're gonna talk. I'm sure Sarah Palin will be all over this. The funding for that's going for the deportation course, actually. That's right. right. <laughs> and you know, those 11 million people are all on Obamacare, so that solves the problem. Right, there you go. There you go. Everybody dies. Done. Everybody <laughs> dies. The, the, Don't need to deport them because they're all going to die. The, the bizarro thing for me lately has been, uh, as they go around, they're doing lots of media of the you know Affordable Care Act, and they're talking to people, Trump supporters, who are against the Affordable Care Act, who are on Obamacare. Mm-hmm. And are happy that they received this coverage, but want to repeal it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know 
where they're going to be after it's repealed. I mean, do, do they continue to be Trump supporters because they like the identity that he creates for them? Or are they angry that they've lost their health care now? I think it depends on, to, to your point, and I think everybody is thinking this, I don't think anyone's going to be happy if they don't have some sort yeah. of coherent plan in right. place. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they do that, it's political suicide anyway, so I can't see them doing that. Mm-hmm. that, that it would just be crazy. And I think Paul Ryan, do you think Paul Ryan gets that? I think Paul Ryan gets it, but I, 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 uh, this is going to, from me, I feel bad for him, and I can't believe I'm actually saying this out loud, but <laughs> he is put in a situation where he is a pretty pragmatic yeah. guy, and I think that he came into this position as speaker really wide-eyed and open-eyed about what this was going to be like. So he's in a position where he understands the institution and knows what what really needs to be done, but has to work with this guy that has no idea. Yeah, right. But now they're electorally tied to one another. So I don't... I, I, <laughs> what do you think their conversations are like? <laughs> oh like, God. he's probably going into details, and Trump's like, make America great again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let me tweet real quick. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Who do I hand the pen to? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no. So, no, he's handing it to kids and Nancy Pelosi. Did you see today? Yeah. Was one of the first things he did after inauguration was he went in and started signing executive orders and signing, amongst other cabinet things, signing uh, the official documents that make his yeah. cabinet nominees official. And the, the one clip that was going around was him signing the one for Betsy DeVos, who's Who, the education uh, secretary yeah, nominee, yeah. nominee. And he says, as he's about to sign it, he looks at it and says, Betsy. That's education, right? He does. <laughs> he said the same thing about the labor. He's like, labor? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this disengagement is just. Yeah. When do I sign the baseball? <laughs> Yesterday he was talking when do I get about. My TV show? <laughs> he was talking about his new secretary of agriculture. And he kept going on and on. I can't. I don't even know the guy's name. I don't think he used the man's name. He just said he's a farmer. The man's a farmer. Yeah, that's all people need to know. Yeah, and then he said, Iowa, yeah. lock it up for right. twenty twenty. Yeah. there were, I saw a lot of people that were well qualified, but they weren't farmers. And I thought, good God, is this like, is this what's that's qualified? The bar? Yes. Oh. Being a farmer. Or, I, I feel bad for Paul Ryan and Mike Pence. Because you know both of them are in room in meetings with Trump where they say, no, 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 no. No, honey, sorry. Can't, can't do that. <laughs> right, right, right. Go put your bib on and go right. play with your toys. Let the big boys do the work. You go make America great again. We'll work out the details here. <laughs> you're doing so well. Yes. Oh, good job. Your tie is great. You tap on the head. You're such a good boy. But that, yeah, what, what you drinking today, Bill? Oh, so I am. It's a, uh, it's a big beer, Phil. It's big. Um, so my new favorite brewery, and I, I had a, one of these last for the last podcast, is Alter Brewery. It's out in uh, Downers Grove, uh, Illinois, and it is a uh, red. It's the Galaxy and the Seven Seas. It's it's fantastic, Philip. Oh, you'd love it. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to find as many ironic beers as I could while I was at the store. Uh, so I just had Point the Way uh, IPA. That's from L.A. Nice. Um, <laughs> that a is lot good. of pointing going on during the actual speech. Uh, <laughs> and Arrogant Bastard Ale. Oh, that is great. and it's a picture of a devil. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Yeah, made of orange, and I. Oh. <laughs> I well, I'm drinking my my favorite beer that I can never get because I don't live in Wisconsin, but Bill has it all the time, which is the the New Glarus Spotted Cow. Wonderful beer, which is yeah. my favorite, and I love it. And I stole the only one that he brought. No, I, I have more at home. <laughs> Phil, Phil, what are you what are you drinking today? I, I'm, I'm drinking old fashioned. <laughs> That's Bell's favorite. What yes. that makes so much uh, sense now. I've, I've already been through two. I don't. I'm, I'm drinking quick today. That's okay. You, you'll You're get, gonna loosen up. You'll get smarter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
clink, clink in the glass. So I don't, I don't know if we need, want to talk more about Inauguration Day or... What do you think about the... No, go ahead. If you I was just I was going to ask a question to the international relations yeah. scholars on the panel. I'll, I'll leave. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will too. This is why I'm asking the question. So... Um, you know, Bill and I were watching it together, and we were talking a lot about like holy nationalism. Oh my God, everywhere, everywhere identity. And I heard a term used that I have never heard before, but made so much sense. It's Euro Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. Is this something that the two of you are familiar with, or or if not, can tease out a little bit? Because I think like I get it just in <laughs> in the words, but um, so wait, wait, did he use that phrase? He, no, no, he did else? not. I'm sorry. Some of the commentators. Um, I don't remember what channel it was, but someone used the term Euro-Christian nationalism. Yeah, and, yes. and with all of the God references that Bill and I were like, oh, where did all these come from? Because since when does he care? Um, uh, uh, but this, this sort of nod to this traditional Euro-Christian nationalism. So I was curious what you all thought about that. Yeah, I mean, very. He, so, I mean, I think that's the polite way of saying white nationalism. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is the polite um, way of saying racist. Oh. So there you go. Nick, oh. Nick is shaking his head. <laughs> if Tom can. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I mean, I, I do a lot of research on nationalism and the role of religion. And I was, I was surprised at how much because he's not. I mean, while he's been sort of deferential to sort of religious interests yes. in the campaign he's not been particularly religious and he he talked about god a lot a lot of god today a lot of god middle class midwesterners he's throwing bones to the evangelicals right right? and to Mm -hmm. these yes to these windswept nebraskans he talked about about, uh we will be protected by the great men and women of our military so he points to the military and law enforcement and most importantly we will be protected by God. Doesn't he say almighty creator at some uh, point? And it was later. Right? Yeah, yeah the uh, almighty creator. In the previous paragraph, the Bible tells us how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Right? Pleasant. There was a lot, way more so nationalism and sort of religious identity stuff today. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and then Franklin Graham got up. I don't know if you tuned out after that, but Franklin Graham got up afterwards, yeah. and that prayer he gave was something else. I mean, it was... I think we tuned uh, out, but we yeah. saw him up there. Yeah. Yeah. It fits with Franklin Graham, but it's just a little surprising to see that at the inauguration because it was, I mean, he was explicit about, like, Jesus being the one true God and coming, you know, we're going to save everybody. And it was it was an interesting contrast because he was followed by a rabbi. That's what I was just going to say. We were joking that people in the crowd were like, what's that thing on that priest's head? Says, what do priests wear hats? So uh, there, was, I, there was a lot of what, I, you know... I, I don't like it when people throw out like fascist accusations and whatnot, but there was a lot about that speech that was sort of reminiscent of kind of that, you know, 1930s era nationalism that you saw around the world. I mean, so the, the quote, Bill, you were talking about the quote that stood out to you was the, what the carnage quote? Or yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> carnage, no more carnage. Like, the American carnage stops right here <laughs> and stops right now. Always <laughs> <laughs> giving the okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Phil, you you tweeted something out of your favorite quote that I thought yes, was pretty powerful. This is the quote that shocked that that like just kind of shocked me. At the bedrock of our politics will be a total allegiance to the United States yep. of America. Yep. And through our loyalty to our country, we will rediscover our loyalty to, to each other. other. When you open your heart to patriotism, there is no room for prejudice. Like, that that's... I it's mean, so that's, overtly nationalistic, right? Yes, it's overtly. like Yeah, I mean... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't... I mean, to, to have any... To have any politician say... To basically utter the words... 
that the bedrock of our politics will be total allegiance. I don't care what comes after that. <laughs> 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 <That's> like... <laughs> I, I was wondering who got in his ear for that, because that doesn't sound, that wasn't campaign rhetoric. That was something new. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I was, I was thinking. I was thinking say. that was Bannon, right? It's gotta be. That's, that's taking the next step to say it's not, you know, it's not just, identity politics it's about spreading that so no it was that was that was bold um i mean i think there's what's interesting and i don't i don't study nationalism obviously but you know there's something to be said about like okay let's look at each other as americans and respect each other as americans and try to find common ground like that's one way to say let's bring each other together but to say you know swear total allegiance to america and that's how we <laughs> see each other that's the only way we see each other and that's the only way we prosper it just sounds it, it's not Reagan. Too, no. it's, it's, Reagan was different. I mean, Reagan was a, a patriot in that sense, but it was it's different language. Uh, well, yep. that's that's where it harkens back to the you know like sort of early mid twentieth century. I mean, the the message that he's giving of like inward focus, right? Mm-hmm. Trade yes. war, essentially, mm-hmm. um, sort of autarkic. Like we're going to put up trade barriers. We're going to focus on the American economy, protectionism, this sort of ultra nationalism, right? Total allegiance to the United States. Like that's all. You know, that's that's the recipe. You know, that's the you put all that in a pot and stir it up, and that's where you get to. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. So here, so I, I, so I here's here's my name to make you happy. <laughs> I won't say it explicitly. I will say that this morning, I got I turned on the CNN this morning because my options in watching the like the nine o'clock a.m coverage of the inauguration were Morning Joe on MSNBC, which I can't handle, <laughs> Fox, Fox News, which I can't handle. So it was it was either PBS or um, CNN, and I had CNN and HD, so I opted for that. <laughs> Smart <laughs> move. For the five minutes that I watched, it was all about like how maybe Trump will pivot today, and then it was all about, after that, Melania's high heels and how high they were. And it just pissed me off so much that I my escapism was that I picked up a book on German history and started dying. That was my life. No. I will make a, and I said this to Bill earlier, I will, as the resident lady today at least, is to make a quick fashion note, which Bill found interesting. So yeah. I will I will repeat it here mm-hmm. that it was it was very interesting that Melania Trump wore Ralph Lauren today, an American traditional classic American designer who sells clothes at places like Macy's, where it is, you know, maybe the average person standing in the crowd knows who Ralph Lauren is. Um uh, now, granted, I don't think anyone could afford the actual outfit she probably wore, yeah. but the fact that the choice was to wear Ralph Lauren is something that is, is not... She should have gone with not Costco. Not nothing. She, well, Mitt Romney, right? <laughs> yeah. Mary, a la Mitt Romney. Costco. She should have gone Costco. Costco. <laughs> yeah. Ill-fitted khaki pants <laughs> yes. and a flannel shirt or something. <laughs> so, Phil, I, I couldn't agree more with the whole nationalism line of argument. The one thing, and, not, and this isn't to defend Trump, but uh, that I found... Yeah, okay. It was kind of an interesting contrast. So early in the speech, he kept referencing the importance of democracy. Uh, and he kept talking about that this election belongs to you. This is, you know, this uh, this is our government is controlled by the people. We're transferring power back to you. And it was an interesting contrast to see him really reference to say, I'm breaking down this elitism, this, the institutions that have prevented you from benefiting uh, and then later in the speech, going to this more patriotic, uh, nationalistic language, it was it was a, it was it was a startling contrast. Mm-hmm. He's warming him up. Well, I, 
like the, the, I mean, it makes sense. Like as a, if you're trying to win votes and whatnot, it, it's just from a logical standpoint, it's nonsensical, yeah. right? Well, that's like, most of his speeches. You can say that stuff, but when you say that stuff and then fill your cabinet with like Goldman Sachs people and billionaires and people who have been in DC, like it doesn't, I don't know, that, that, that's sort of the logical contrast. I know maybe that doesn't bother most people, but when you, when you like within a period of a couple of sentences in your speech, the other example that sort of stood out to me was when he talks about how like, America, we don't want to impose our, our wishes on the world. We just want to be left alone, basically, which is this very isolationist thing. But then, like, two sentences later, he talks about how we're going to go out and brutally destroy radical Islam in the world, right? Like, how do you say that we're not going to impose our will on the world and then turn around two minutes later and say that, like, but look out, well, we're coming to kick your ass? He never said that we want to be left alone. He said we want to serve as an example for the rest of the world. Not necessarily that... We were going to be completely isolationist. No, he's not. He's, he's protectionist, not necessarily. I, he doesn't see a distinction there. Yeah, sure. yeah. Well, uh, I will say he. The only thing he referenced. <laughs> what I said, he doesn't understand. <laughs> oh yeah, I saw underbreath comment yeah. that Nick catches. The only <laughs> reference to so to the foreign policy stuff was was the radical Islamic. You know, effort, right? Yeah. He didn't talk about alliances, really. He didn't talk about uh, foreign policy. No mention Israel. No, no, no. That was I was kind of surprised about looking no. through the text. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was you know, the only foreign policy issue is is confronting radical Islam, and that feels like Michael Flynn in the year. So I think Steve Bannon was yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. Michael Flynn got part. Mm-hmm. I don't think Mattis got any uh-huh. any part of the speech. No, because he said wipe off the face of the earth. Yeah, that's Ted Cruz language. Yeah. Well, that, the radical Islam is like red meat for the face, right? Okay. I mean, been, the, the, the conservatives in America have been calling for Obama to say radical Islam for mm-hmm. eight years. And it, it's not it's not him. Bush never said it either, right? It's like the, the intelligence community has urged them not to say it because of the implications. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's clearly, again, you know, feeding the, the people who got him there. Sure. Nick, Do we, we give Nick the floor yeah, for rebuttal? Have Nick. you written yeah. all oh, down at this point? <laughs> no. no, it's all right here. Nick, Nick go. <laughs> all right, so Phil, going back to the, the, the whole nationalist argument and, and whatnot, um, and <laughs> Bill's, and Bill's eating his cherry from his old fashioned. <laughs> He's biting into it, yeah. getting ready. Um, so, I, I mean, as someone who has studied European, well, I mean, nationalism in general, and, and I would assume mainly European and international nationalism is that redundant no um not on the podcast do you I, I, <laughs> not after two beers it sounds yeah. great um I, I mean do you ever think that the u.s with the culture that we have and the the institutions that we have and the the organization of the government that we have would ever get to a point where you have uprisings like you do in Greece or in Spain or Italy or things like that that we're seeing really overtly, Germany, um, that we're seeing so overtly now and that we've seen historically in Europe. Do you ever think we would get to that point? What, so what do you mean when you say the uprisings we're seeing? Like, I, I mean the, the resurgence of right-wing radical nationalism in a lot oh, yeah. of Western yeah. Europe. Do you think we would yeah. do that? Yeah, I, I'm not saying that we will, but but the idea that we could, yeah, I have no doubt. Like I don't, I don't, I don't put that out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's necessarily likely, but I, I I'm unwilling to say I, the whole idea. I think we there's a danger in thinking like this, that would never happen here, right? And I think um, no, I, yeah, yeah, which I'm definitely not saying, but I, yeah. I think it's highly, highly unlikely based off of. I, I mean, it's a fundamentally different governmental and um, psychological 
and cultural perspective that we have compared to Western Europe. I don't like. I I can't even fathom what would have to happen for. Are you disagreeing? No, no, no. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> I want to hear what this next thing is. No, like I I just you know is I think that what we've seen over the past uh, you know two years, eighteen months, something like that with the presidential campaign and what's going on is that people want to have a say in their institutions, which doesn't necessarily, and, and you can draw, you know, relations and conclusions and, and um, ties to German nationalism in the, in the twenties and thirties and forties, obviously. I, I just, I like, I can't, again, I can't fathom that that would ever happen in this country to the extent that it happens in Western Europe. And so if, blatantly. If, the other thing to remember is that his approval rating, like as you mentioned earlier, is low. Right. 37, and, I think, is yeah. what I saw. And so I think there is a group within the country that has those tendencies. And I think sure. there, there, that, that group exists in, in the UK. It, it exists, I mean, Le Pen in France. I mean, those, those groups are throughout... But they're a, they're not a majority yet. I think they're not not in the United States either, right? No. There, there are a lot of Republicans who are concerned with that nationalist rhetoric, mm-hmm. and maybe you know while they say like, "Hey, I'm I'm willing to work with Trump uh, on health care and some other issues." There's a lot of never Trumps when it comes to the sure. the more extreme stuff. Yeah, yeah. See, I I, I tend to I, accept, I I like agree with your premise to a point <laughs> in that. Um, uh, in the current situation, I think it's it, it's you know we're not we're not like at the doorstep of like Nazi Germany or anything like that. Um, those when those really extreme sort of radical na- ultra nationalist um, groups get a lot of support tends to be in times of economic strife and struggle when things are really hard, which we've been. In. Yeah. And we are not here. now, but it's framed like we still are. Yeah. Right. Right. Certain well, segments of our society yeah. are really struggling, but you're right. As a whole, right. no. If we look at socio, yeah. we're, we're, not, we're not in that situation. But Phil's but doing great. Framing up the last election was Phil's too I said Phil's doing great. <laughs> you have enough money for cherries and oranges in a Ziploc bag. Right. That is yes. really your upper the class. The yes. <laughs> bourgeoisie. <laughs> because I mean, this is what being a member of a union. Is. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't know. Um, yeah. So I, I think. That I, I think the extent, like the circumstances that would bring about that sort of kind of ultra right wing, you know, rise in power um, would be pretty extreme. Mm. But again, like you, I mean, the, the list, of, like if you listen to the rhetoric that Trump is using, right? He's even if it's not true, that's the picture he's painting, right? This post-apocalyptic world, and yeah. so you know, I, I don't. I, th- I think there's not, if you look at those sort of ultra-right-wing um, movements in Europe, whether they're in, you know, Greece or France has been in the news, right? So Marine Le Pen is now leading the polls for the for the French presidential election. She's the, the um, daughter of Jean-Marie Le Pen. He's, you know, she's very anti-Muslim. Um, um, she's, I don't know. She's like what thirty percent in the polls. That's crazy. Like that. Yeah, like, she gets killed in all of like in yeah. all the subsequent polls. So France has a two round election. Mm-hmm. So they have the first round. The top two vote getters go to a runoff. She, it, it, regardless of who she's running against in those secondary polls, she loses all of them. Mm-hmm. So, but the the fact that she's getting so much support, right? I, I don't think that's all that different from what's happening in the U.S. Right? It's this. This pushback in France, it's against Muslim immigrants. In the U.S., it's against Mexican immigrants. 
But it's this kind of, you know, this hearkening back to the old days, this sort of call, this protectionist um, focus on, you know, real America, which is yeah, to some extent white America, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that's where that white, or what did you call it, Euro-Christian nationalism. Euro-Christian nationalism. <laughs> I like that term. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think, I, I think you're right. Like, the odds of it turning into that are slim, but I I think the the what's happening now is 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 maybe different in scale but not in kind right it's mm-hmm. it's the same sort of thing happening it's just mm-hmm. not necessarily as extensive mm-hmm. I, I'm waiting to see the the balance of power within that administration do does mattis does uh, Pompeo do I actually think Tillerson the the, the cabinet in their their hearings they separated themselves quite dramatically from Trump's foreign policy. Yeah. Uh, and you know, as as we move forward, who's got who who is driving policy? Is it Trump? Is it Bannon? Is it Flynn? Or is it the rest of the cabinet, which seems like they don't want to be linked with him if he goes down? Right. Uh, and they're they're much more traditional Republicans, and so I, I think that it, it just depends on how that balance of power plays out. If if Bannon, Flynn, and Trump, if that vision plays out, it's a different U.S. foreign policy than if Mattis uh, is driving the agenda. Uh, yeah, I, I, and we don't, we won't know that for a while. Well, yeah. Didn't Trump just uh, didn't Trump didn't he say in his speech something about like reaffirming traditional alliances or something? He, he did. Yeah, he threw that in. That was good. Maybe that was his nod to Israel, but like not really. Yeah, but it was it was a short line. I mean, it was because uh, what is because tradi- we could really try to deconstruct what is what do traditional alliances mean? Does that mean because he doesn't want us to be in the UN and he wants to stop paying dues? He's talked about how NATO doesn't work. So what traditional alliances other than Israel is he, he talking about? Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm I'm cur- I'd be curious yeah. about that. I, I, this is I mean this is just a question because I I honestly don't know. How many specific policy points are ever brought up during presidential inaugural More, more than this. So this okay. is unique. I was telling, I said this to Bill earlier. This is also unique that typically the first inaugural address, because this first State of the Union comes about a month later, this sort of like the warm-up for the State of the Union. So usually there's much more, it is this direct pivot away from campaign mode and into governing mode. And here is not only my vision of the country, but like some more specifics on how we're going to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm then we hear a lot of specifics in the first state of the union. Mm. So this was much more, again, campaign-like. Yeah. So this got me even more curious, just to jump ahead a little, about what the first state of the union is yeah. actually going to sound like. Sure. Because I don't know that he n- knows how to talk in specifics. And I don't know if his speechwriters know how to write for him in a way that he could mm-hmm. deliver it. And he also doesn't have the people behind him yet, because 4% of his appointees are actually you know, yeah. in there. Mm to know what the specifics look like. Mm. So I'm curious about that first day of the union. The other thing that struck me about the speech today was that, again, looking back at Bush in 2000 and Obama in 08, both of them talked about the danger of partisanship. Uh, And Bush went on and on in that speech about how the importance of finding connections. Uh, Obama talked about, you know, the need to move past childish things and uh, and that wasn't here today. There was a there was a sense that there is partisanship is part of the game now, and I think this is it's its own institution. Yeah, this will be the reality for the at least for the next four years. But I think the rea- if, if Democrats play the game the way that Trump has set it up, it might it might be longer than that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. What do you think their interactions were like 
Who that? Obama and, and Trump. We talked oh, a little bit about yeah. this. <laughs> I, it, that to be a, to fly on the shoulder would, when they're when they're walking to the Sikorsky helicopter, and then they get there. Uh, and uh, it, it looked like the Obamas were just like, all right, I, I want to get, let's get on the helicopter. <laughs> and Trump, he's he's all grabby, he's hands, he's grabbing with, shoulders. Oh, with Michelle, I was like, Ew! yeah. So there's the handshake where you just kind of <gasps> grab the hand, and then there's the handshake, grab the shoulder. And he did handshake, grab shoulder for both, and he held onto the shoulder. And both, neither Obama or Michelle like shuddered. You know? <laughs> I did. I but, did enough. But for you wonder, like that physical interaction, right? Because the Obamas, hey, they played it fairly well. They didn't, you know, they didn't trash Trump too much in the process. Uh, but that had to be when they're waiting, oh, to know what was going on. Not only what they said, but what each is thinking. Oh God. Well, I mean, after that speech, I, I, I mean, you yeah. guys have talked about it enough. It's you know, yeah. a post-apocalyptic oh, yeah. view of the U.S. It was, the beginning of it, I was saying to Bill, started as sort of this, like, passive, aggressive bashing of the yeah. Obama administration, yeah. and then it just got super overt. Like, mm. there was nothing that was passive-aggressive about it. Yeah. And that's just... Thanks so much, you did a great job. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, there, Don't the, let the door hit your ass on the way out. My favorite part of the coverage was, they kept, they kept going to Obama, right? Okay, so Trump would say something... Pan to Obama. Yeah. Right. And Obama looked very, you know, serene and calm. And sometimes his eyes were closed. Yeah. But behind, next to Obama was George W. Bush, who's cracking jokes. And like, <laughs> he just, but behind them, like a, a row behind, is Dick Cheney in a cowboy hat. <laughs> and you never got a direct shot of, of Cheney. But like in the corner, you would see him looking as Lurking. ominous as ever. You know, and that for me, the, the visual of Trump. Oh, yeah. Obama, Cheney, Cheney. three very different politicians, but all of that like wrapped up was it was it was enough for it was enough for a day. It was enough for a day. It's an SNL skit waiting to happen. I can't even imagine. All right, so so I should tell you what my my life has been like in the last week, which is um, (laughs) I uh, throughout the course of the day I received multiple text messages from Phil Barker, and uh, most of those text messages involve. Uh, articles about the Russian connection with Donald Trump, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and so so I think we should give Phil a chance to make the case <laughs> for why Trump is the Manchurian candidate. Because <laughs> <laughs> at, at first, at first, I was just like, okay, Phil. This guy's crazy. He's in a hot tub with a beer. That's his Twitter picture. We don't. We can't trust this man. Does he have a plastic bag full right. of yes. garnishes? But Phil is persistent. So, so I guess I, you know, I would like just a few minutes to talk about whether we think this is a big deal and whether whether the story has legs, whether it's legitimate. And I, I would say the 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 global expert right now is Phil Barker. So we're oh, yeah. we're we're lucky. <laughs> So, yeah, my answer is yes, this is a major story. Um, <laughs> but it's not a story in the stupid way that the media is covering. Like, it's bizarre to me that we had a week and a half ago or whatever, reports come out that the intelligence community of the United States has enough belief that there are ties between the Trump administration, or people around Trump at least, and Russia, that they have fi- like they've applied for a FISA warrant, right? I mean, this is like, and, and gotten it. So that means that the U.S. government is actually essentially tapping phones, right? Eavesdropping on calls between, I saw a story that, I guess it's Manafort and Page and uh, Stone, right? So the three, they don't know who the fourth one is. But but the fact that the U.S. government has enough 
evidence and belief that, that this connection exists. I mean, that's massive. Now, the media has been, like, totally distracted by, like, piss jokes, right? So, and like, the, the golden <laughs> shower gate. And, and so, like, that's what we've talked about. All we've talked about is, haha, Donald Trump, you know, and piss. There's this massive story behind that, which right. is, like, the links between... Trump but it's fake and... news, Phil. It's fake news. CNN, <laughs> The Times, The Post. It's all fake news, and Julian Assange knows more than this than the intelligence agencies. So don't get it twisted. That's right. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Support. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whoever came up with the phrase fake news, I would like to punch in the throat. <laughs> 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 Crazy. So, um, oh. so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a real story there. And I, I think the story... It'll be interesting to see, because I think that it's not, even if the media moves on, the intelligence community is not moving on, and the fact that Trump continues to, like, belittle them and piss them off isn't going to be helpful to him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that, it might fall out of the news, but I don't think it's going away. And I think the allegations are maybe not as, like, explicit as, you know, it's not that Trump is directly working for Putin or whatever, but I, there, there are lots of allegations, the stuff I've read, you know, well, I don't know if this is true or not, but the allegations have to do with essentially Russian, massive Russian investments in the Trump yeah. business. So yeah. Trump, you know, 15, 20 years ago was on the verge of bankruptcy and was essentially bailed out by Russian banks and the Russian mafia. And, if, you know, I don't know how much there is to that, but if there's money that's flowing into the Trump campaign and what that, that's that's huge, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you flip that around, and if there were allegations that Hillary Clinton were getting money, <laughs> oh, from the stop press, it! Like, she would have been in jail, locked her up. They would, like, she would have, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> that's going to maybe fade from the headlines, but I don't think it's going away. I mean, that's, that's big. I wear my right? You know, I I, I agree. <laughs> so, no, I, I agree. I think it's a, it's a it's a great story. And I think it will continue for two reasons. One, Trump now in charge of these intelligence communities will have to decide and will have some say whether they move forward or not. He is so alienated and, to use your word, pissed them off that um, it's it's likely that they are going to try to poke him with yeah. some of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, my guess is that who knows where the truth lies. I, I think it's unlikely we're going to find that. Putin and Trump were emailing each other, like working some grand scheme. But it might be might be that Manafort and and others were having some type of conversations early, and then what the nature of those conversations right. are could be significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. that that in and of itself is a story. The question and, is, what? How do we define collusion? Right. So, mm-hmm. is it you know the the hacking to try to delegitimize Hillary Clinton? Yeah. Is there a direct relationship or contact between the Trump campaign and between someone in Russia? Yeah. How do we define collusion? And then I'm going to go there. How do we define treason, yep. high crimes? What does this look like? Um, well, Bill and I had a I, whole conversation about line of succession just yeah. for shits and giggles. Yeah. So. And, and the other question is, if, even if any of this is established, would a Republican-dominated Congress do, do anything, anything about it? Yeah. That's, like, I, that's, 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 that's the question. Is, I think they have to. Well, no, I you, say yes. If you can't link it to Trump... Because all the time, within Washington, it's never the scandal. It's always the lying about the scandal, right? Yes, that and was, that, yeah. that's Nixon. I mean, it always goes after Clinton, the people around yeah. them and, and Clinton. Clinton. So yeah. it would have to directly reach up to... <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Did you see the orange, Bill? Oh, uh, 
it it'd have to you would have to directly connect Trump to go after him. Well, yeah, there has to be this sort of concrete. Yeah. can't call it fake news bullshit. Has yeah. to be real. But the thing is, if we talk about keeping the legitimacy of the institution, mm-hmm. that this is one of those things that if 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 there is some kind of concrete evidence that there is treason or high crimes or something, there's some kind of collusion with Russia, who now we see for like the bears back and all this kind yeah. of stuff, right? That to really keep our democracy legitimate and the institutions legitimate, that at some point you have to think about putting partisanship aside to say, yeah, that's fine. you know, this is something that we have to do regardless of what the consequences are. It's never going back to Trump. Everyone is going to fall on their yep, sword. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. never. Well, it's like, it, like it, it's like around Contra. And that's the same kind of thing. And that's why it yeah. makes it difficult to get rid of him. Even though I think Paul Ryan, Paul Ryan, if he could get rid of Trump, oh, yeah. and deal with Pence, oh yes. sure. I mean, so I, I McCain too. Right. We oh, look absolutely. At the study, right. Yeah. yeah. No. It, uh... So there's <laughs> there's another aspect to the story that I think is interesting, which is the animosity that is emerging between Trump and the intelligence community. I think. If anything does, if the intelligence community does find anything, or if Trump tries to squash it, you're going to see a whole bunch of leaks. Yep. Like, yeah, the, oh yeah. The intelligence community is going to leak like crazy, which is essentially pushing the intelligence community to take a political position, which is t- like, even though it might be like in a grand historical scheme of things, it might be the right thing to do. It's really terrible for yeah, us. Yeah, like, absolutely. We don't want the CIA taking like no. political sides right. in things. So, Which was why Comey yeah. with the whole FBI thing was yes. so startling. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that, I mean, there's that aspect of it too, which is not, you know, in, in, from that perspective, like there's no good outcome, right? If anything starts emerging and moving forward. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Bill, you you. Uh, <laughs> but I think you know, that, talking about my theory, but I, I, yeah, I, for me, I think, I think this, there's more to it than the media is talking about. Yeah. But I, I don't know how it possibly like. I don't know where it goes, right? I, I can't. It's hard for me to picture the outcome of it. And it may not be within this administration. I mean, I think that we've just finally found evidence, real evidence, that Nixon, going all the way back, you know, to Vietnam, that prior to him being elected, that he was dealing with South, the South Vietnamese government. Like, it, that just happened, where they're like, oh yeah, we've got a memo that suggested, he said, let's tank the negotiations there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this could never come up in the next four years. I mean, it, it could be that, you know, years from now we find out about it, but... Uh, what are the consequences in the interim? Yeah, Not knowing. Right. And him being in office for whatever, however he got there. I'm not yeah. a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, for however he got there, what are going to be the consequences until we, if we ever, until we ever find out that maybe there's something we should have known mm. all along. Yeah. The, uh, the, the Saturday Night Live skit, did we watch Saturday Night Live this week? The, the last one. Yeah. yeah oh, they, oh, yes. Where they, they were doing the question and answer, and then, um... So Vladimir Putin gets up with the v- I love that it was a VHS tape, right? It was a VHS tape that said pee pee tape, shirtless. Yes, it was always. It was great. I, I yeah, I, I don't think you know. My sense of Russia is they're too savvy to really be working directly with Trump. They they love right. all the fact that the American democracy, the scandal is better for Russia. Than actually having a connection with for Trump. Sure, for yeah. sure. This creation chaos. of but, yeah, yeah, chaos. Yeah, chaos. Chaos is good. Uh, all of it. So, all of it plays well. So let me, let me ask this. I don't know if you saw this, but um, one of the big prediction markets, one of the ones, I think it was out of, out of Brit- it was a British prediction market, uh, you know, where you can essentially bet on political outcomes, now has odds of Trump finishing his first term at 
50-50, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that there's a 50% chance that he actually makes it all the way through his first term. Right. So, do you, what, Bill, do you take that bet? What, like, what do you think? I, I would I would take that bet for this reason. He looked bored during the inauguration. Oh my God. He was <laughs> so antsy. Uninterested. And it looked as if he was like, really, this isn't done? Can I can I leave now? Uh, no, I no, I think I actually I think he'll stay this. Is he doing the national anthem? Has he like bobbed his head yeah. around? He's yeah. totally entertained. He's, <laughs> he's entertained with himself. He's like, I can't believe I actually fucking did this. Holy shit! So, I'm the fucking president. <laughs> you would take the bet saying you don't think he finishes his four years? It's day one, people. <laughs> We're like five hours, like one. two hours in, three hours in. Nick is good for, like, pulling us back. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't think that's, that's the point, right? Jesus. Half of the people who are playing, taking bets on this think that he's not even going to finish the... Like, we're not even... We're just day one. The so I think there's, there's, there's a couple of reasons why I think that this makes sort of sense. So some of it we just talked about, right? Is there collusion, treason, yeah. you know... Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. He could just quit. He could. He could yeah. be like, "This is not what I signed up for because yeah, I didn't think I was going to win in the first place." I, I I abdicate my throne, yeah. the ascended red throne. Um, but I really think that, and maybe this is because I'm too much of an institutionalist and I need to like get out of that. But he just has this sort of this complete fundamental lack of fundamental lack of understanding of how the government works. That if the people around him, because depending on how manipulatable he is, is that a word? It is now malleable. I like that one, right? So squishy, right? We should make um, mugs that have the words yes. we make up on. I like that. Yes. It's our little dictionary, yes. our little Bristol politics yes. dictionary. <laughs> um, if he, there could be, there could be decisions that are made or not made, or choices that are made or not made, that could get him impeached when he doesn't even realize that he did something that could actually get him impeached. So there's, there's, there's mm-hmm. potentially that. I don't know if we want to go to the place of talking about him divesting from his company and like what that looks like and if really it's this divestiture that is like legitimate or those papers were all like mm-hmm. cartoons in the folders. I don't know, but yeah. Um, they were. yeah. Um, I, I mean, I there are I guess there are so many potential reasons why it could happen that I might take that 50-50 bet. I, I think it's more 60-40. I think he, I think, he's, I, I think he sticks. He yeah, but I think there's a chance that something bubbles up mm-hmm. that he steps down. I don't think they impeach. I, I, don't, I don't think there's I think a you're, this is treasonous and you're ah! going to get picked up in an unmarked <laughs> That's right. The next hour. Okay, President Adams. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ultimately, the, the real, like, all this talk about Russia, I mean, the scandal that's, like, obvious and out in the open is the the conflict of interest. Right. right? He's in violation of the Constitution on day one. Like, nobody seems to give a shit. But, well, like, they, they everyone yeah. reported it, but then nobody gave a shit, like you're saying. Right. Yeah, so I, but yeah, I don't, I, yeah, with, I'm kind of with you, Dad. Uh, Bill, I, the, I talked to a friend of, one of the, my colleagues here, who does a mix of American politics and international politics, said that, of the options, right? I mean, there's sort of four outcomes, right? He's a one-term president, a two-term president. He is, impeached or resigns right so that's like he he's cut short before the end of his first term or he dies right those are sort of the four outcomes is that the four outcomes for, for every president right like i respect it's your resigned. colleague but isn't that for every president you it's didn't, not trump specific you didn't mention fake his own death <laughs> <laughs> stage a reality show and punk all of us and be like gotcha 
Like, so beads on the beach. Prediction of probabilities were that like the most likely outcome is he's a one-term president. I'll take that. But he puts, he puts that uh, he's a two-term president as more likely than he'll get impeached or resign within his first term. Yeah, I'd and agree with that. He convinced of that. Like, there's yeah. something that you know that you know I. Being ousted, for, he's, he he shows no sign of a person who would ever admit that he's done anything wrong. And oh, for away. sure. <laughs> and the Republican Party shows no sign of being a party that would be willing to impeach him unless unless he becomes a liability, right? Unless he's actually hurting the party in some way. He becomes so dramatically unpopular. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't know. A, a week or two ago, I would have maybe taken the bet that he lasts less than a term, but I, I, I don't know that now. I, I think he's a at least a one-term president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, no, I, I think that odds are in that favor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my, I, I just got this from my friend. It was an article from the Onion. Departing, <laughs> departing Obama tearfully shoes away loyal drone following him out of the White House. <laughs> Go watch Trump now. Yes. High five. <laughs> so, Nick, you mentioned earlier his approval rating. Mm. Trump has helped that dramatically, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, this juxtaposition. Exactly. Sure. And even I, I will say, you know, I'm I, I, on balance. I'm I'm supportive of Obama, but even that final press conference where he was like just going on and on about how wonderful a free press was. Mm -hmm. That was largely staged as a way to draw contrast between him and Trump, right? And and so he is, he's benefiting from uh, an angst about what's going on and and again, he's played it well, but no, there's, yeah, there's there's a lot to look at Obama's legacy that isn't as pretty as his speeches. No, 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 no. I was just going to say quickly that, you know, some of the blame of this um, disintegrating free press, as we see in orange. Phil's, Phil's eating more oranges. Just put in your teeth. I just want to see like the orange face. Some of the the fault of the disintegrating press lies with Obama because of the way he treated the press. Sure, right. Exactly. I mean, so the so there's a couple things that happen here. Is there's this perfect storm of the explosion of social media yeah. and the way that reporters report now, mm-hmm. and they yeah. don't need to go to they don't need to be in the press pool. They don't need to be in the gaggle. They don't need to go and ask him questions. They can report sort of independently. But he. Dr- drew back pretty significantly from sort of the daily, um, I'm going to go visit, visit the press pool and like kind of talk and stuff. Yeah. He, there was, a, whether this is true or not, one of so a couple of reporters said that he went down once and he was like, I'm never coming back here again. Yeah. So he, for various reasons, I think some of it, the way that he was treated, some of it, the explosion of social media and some of it's just the way that he wanted to handle the, the protection of his administration yeah. was to push the press out, mm. which Cause some of their criticism towards him. So we already were down this path, I think, where we are. Yeah. Um, but this overtly adversarial, your fake news, yeah. looking at CNN, which granted, CNN has problems, but to call CNN fake news. Yeah. It's, it's another step. It's it hilarious, is. I agree. It is. And, well, now the press corps is not even going to be in the White House. They're, no. moved, they're moved to another building. They're moved to another building, which is symbolic. That's yes. very symbolic. Yeah. And no, I think it, it began It began even before Obama. I think there was this realization sure. that the world is shifting. Right. You have to manage 24-hour news. Well, that and, was under Clinton. His yeah. relationship with yeah. the press changed a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Was that? What is that? <laughs> This was my container that I brought my alcohol in. And you just... a few drops left, and I felt like it would be best if I <laughs> finished those. Congratulations! <laughs> Cheers. Um, so I, I mean, if we can, I know we talked about it briefly last time, but the last few, I guess, 
week or so of Obama's presidency and the Chelsea Manning thing mm-hmm. and the release releases from Guantan- uh, Guantanamo. What are what are any of your thoughts on any of those topics or just his legacy in general in the past? The so. the pardons. Mm-hmm. I don't even read them anymore. Okay. Because every president has their group that they'll grab, and it becomes stories for a couple of weeks, and some of them are legitimate, some of them are, are illegitimate. But I don't care, right? I mean, I just, I, I don't. That's a bad one, though, man. Chelsea? Yeah. No, the worst, okay, for me, the worst is Scooter Libby, right? He um, pardoned Scooter Libby? Yes! How did I miss that? I didn't hear about no, that. No, George, George W. Oh, Bush. I was like... What are yes. you talking oh, about? Like, yeah, no, I'll go way back. That one, I... No, he's already been pardoned. You're doubly pardoned. I was so confused. No, so, so for me, I think they're, they're, this is just what happens. Like, the last few weeks, they pardon a few people they think are justifiably pardoned, and, like, a few they're like, hey, nobody's going to remember this three weeks from now. Right. I don't care, right? It's, it's a few that people get out of jail that maybe be, should be in jail. Uh, the, the Chelsea Manning issue... Obama has been harder on leaks than anybody else. Correct. And so, you know, he has more leeway to say, like, I mean, what he, like, nine or ten, and I think that's more than any other presidential administration combined. So he has been, I mean, and that's been my, one of my big criticisms for him. He has aggressively punished those who've released information, and I'm, I'm not so comfortable with that. So, uh, yeah. So, do you, one of the criticisms I've seen, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about the nuances of the of the Manning case. Um, I tend to be sympathetic towards whistleblowers in general, but my impression is that also he, I guess she, released a, a wide range of stuff that wasn't necessarily whistleblowing. It was yeah. just sort of broad documents. Right. So there's sort of this gray area there. Um, but one of the criticisms I've seen is that this undermines, you know, that the Democratic Party has been so critical of leaks, right, yeah. and all of the, this last election with, with Russia and all of this other stuff. D- does he undermine, you know, do you sort of undermine your argument by saying that leaks are terrible and awful and all of this stuff, but we're going to cut short the, the sentence of this person who's, a, you know, one of the most prominent leakers in the last decade? She's had a hard time. Yeah, she, she served her time. That was, I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's what it, that's what it was. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I mean, to be fair, she she was not burdened. She was her sentence was commuted. Yeah. Regardless, the, you know the, the difference critic? between seven years and thirty five. Well, a that's a huge difference. difference. Yeah. I, 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 I take seven. Yes. <laughs> the criticism of the leaking, a lot of that was because it was detrimentally affecting the party, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot, so much of this was directed at the Democratic Party, and so this was like, oh my gosh, it's terrible leaking, whistleblowing, it's awful, we need to really crack down on it, and blah, blah, blah. So, when... I don't know that they would have been as hard on it if the things that had come out would have been detrimental to the Republican Party, right? I mean, it's, right. it's sort of this hypocrisy mm-hmm. of the of the way the political process works. But I think that we see this, and Bill sort of alluded to it with pardons, is like, who? why does Obama care? He's like, I'm out. Yeah. I'm going to do what I think is right without thinking yeah. of the political yeah. consequences. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reasons that I either have to tell you or don't have to tell you, I've made this choice. Sure. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And, 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 which doesn't mean that they're not problematic. It's Agreed. just what happens, right? And we, we talk about it for a couple of weeks and then we move on. Right. For me, I think there's there's a, a different there's there's different categories of hacking. There is the hacking into emails and revealing like scandal, and there's government refusing to release legitimate information. Absolutely. And I think it's it's the latter, the fact that 
um, government increasingly under George W. Bush and specifically under Barack Obama, where they're not releasing these documents, right. that they are requ- they should be required to do so, right. and reclassifying information that drives WikiLeaks uh, to say, you know, if you're not going to release them, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And, and like like Phil, I'm sympathetic to that. If if a government if a democracy isn't going to be transparent, mm-hmm. then force it to be so. Mm-hmm. Um, so why not Snowden then? I'm, you know, I, I think Snowden is a, a complicated case, uh, and I'm not against that, right? You know, I, I don't, a little bit of time. Give him, give him Manning time. Like, you know, <laughs> give her some time. Slap on the wrist and move on, right? I would love governments to say, we're just going to be more open about releasing these documents, and then the problem goes this away. On the right. back end, yeah, because right. you're yeah. stuck, right? You're stuck. You have violated law. There has to be some punishment. I get all of that. But where then does that stop? Just, yeah. <laughs> That's one of the interesting. I saw somebody was drawing the um, was drawing comparisons between between Manning and Snowden, and the argument was that Manning was far more deserving in the sense of they both essentially acted as whistleblowers. You could sort of debate this, but Manning from the, like has served time, has admitted that like has been willing to face essentially a prosecution, has gone through the process, whereas Snowden has essentially refused to acknowledge that they, you know, hasn't faced prosecution, hasn't come before courts, any of that stuff. And That's so implying argue- that his argument that his stance is wrong though. I mean if he yeah. actually believes it, I mean just because that Manning went through the political process yeah. and the judicial system does it mean that mm-hmm. his point is more valid than Snowden? No, I don't. Fair. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. But at least, at least she came, <laughs> at least she faced the issue where Snowden is still in hiding. Snowden's a creepo, too. Yeah. I, I can convince myself either way. Like, yeah. I can convince myself that, you know, Manning or Snowden deserves a pardon, or I can convince myself that they're, you know, they absolutely shouldn't deserve it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you tell? What should I believe, Bill? <laughs> you know Tell me what Almighty to do. Almighty right. Bill, right. our almighty creator, right. the bedrock of political right. science. Right, democracy <laughs> is about transparency and openness. And in this reality of, I mean, going back to our earlier point of 24-hour news, gotcha news, there's a tendency to constrain information. That troubles me. I mean, I, I, I teach a course on, on uh, U.S. foreign policy where we look at the Cold War. There are documents that I used to be able to show that have now been reclassified. Really, you're telling me those matter? No, it's absurd, and and I that's been one of my biggest critiques of the Obama administration is this hyper prosecution of information, and so you know I I don't think hacks and I don't think leaks are good for the system, but if if democracies were more open, I think they would decrease dramatically. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting. Muck what you out. Said. Like, <laughs> Please don't drop the mic. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting that your take on it is that Obama was so harsh on leakers that he sort of has leeway. At the yeah. end, to basically give this commutation, because in some way, I, I almost lean the other way, which is like there's something hypocritical about a president who was so brutal on leakers and leaks throughout his administration. Yes. At the you, end, I like you. No, no, I'm gonna. You're right, Phil. I changed my stance. Yes. <laughs> it's just that o- easy. Obama, Obama, wrong. Manipulatable. <laughs> yes. Are we going back to that yes. word? Manipulatable. Yes. Yeah. Right. No, I, absolutely. And I, I'm sure that was part of his calculation to say I was. Hard on leakers, I can get away with this, but it, it, it is there's hypocrisy to it. Yeah, I mean, realistically, if he's going out and he's doing that and he doesn't care, you know, the political consequences of it. Yeah, I would have more respect for him if he just said if he just said that. I just want to do this right. because I don't have to worry yeah, about it anymore. Yeah, this is what I. But what believe. kind of precedent might it set 
I'm sorry to cut you off, though. I see no. that you're going to say something, but I'm just I'm curious. We have a new, you know, a new administration that's, you know, sure. one would yeah. one would just uh, expect based on rhetoric is yeah. going to be even harder yes. on whistleblowers. And so with this commutation, um, what might others who are thinking of potentially going down this yes. road, especially as we may expect this administration to be even more protective, mm-hmm. and, and, right? And, what are the long term, longer term consequences? And this this case is so complicated because the gender transformation matters, it right? Does. It does. When I, was, you're, I wasn't going to be the no, one to no, bring it no, up. No, no, I, I think it certainly does. It when does. you're talking about, you know, that situation, a man to a woman in a male prison, Absolutely. all of that, the, the the government, the prison wanted nothing to do with this. They said, right. this is something we're not prepared to handle. Uh, and I, I, my guess is that was driving this decision more so. than anything else. I, and yeah. I, I haven't seen anything about how the trans community has has reacted to the commutation. I'd be kind of interested either. to no, see that would what, be really that, interesting. Um, yeah. what, what that looks like. But I think that had to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it absolutely had to be. And yeah. I'm not, and I, and I, I am, I am convinced that it should have been a part of it. You know, yeah. there no, was I, a big I'm part of me for a long that. time that thought that she should have been moved to a different prison because of it. Yeah, right? I'm I mean, okay with that. Right. Not yeah. necessarily the commutation of the right. sentence. Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no, this, but we're, we're figuring everything out. We're solving all the world's problems. One orange at a time. We're solving all of the world's problems. Right. Here's the question. You're you're Barack Obama. Oh, it's January twentieth. <laughs> what, what time is it? It's uh, what, it's like five o'clock right now, right? You're on you're in California now or whatever. So it's like two so o'clock. You you have now left eight years in office, and power has been turned over to Donald Trump and the Republicans. <laughs> do you like tonight lose sleep? Like, are you? How, how do you feel? Are you stressed? You get about, hammered. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> There's like one that you get hammered you and you then here? you don't set your alarm the next day and you pretend like he's not president. I don't know. going to put That's herself into a medically induced coma for the next four years. <laughs> Can I approach her for four years? Yeah, I don't have to teach right. all. Sorry, Phil. Your question is, is important. Neurotic and highly indecisive, I guess. So I think like there's part of me that thinks I would like lay awake that this is the state of the world, right? And feel like I have an obligation to speak out and do a lot. And there's another part of me that would feel like, screw it, I'm done. Like, if America wants to blow itself up, I'll be in Hawaii, right? So, like, what, like, where do you think he, like, on that spectrum, where do you think he is? Where would you be if you're Barack Obama at this point? I think he goes home to Kenya and then... Oh, right! He puts out his guard. He goes back to the, to the mosque, right? And he reveals his true self. <laughs> There has, there has to be a major sense of relief. And I think what you said, like, America, he's, he seems to be somebody who really believes in democracy, right? And if, if the <laughs> like demos... Like, a bad thing. Right, if the demos <laughs> wants to elect Donald Trump, that's their choice. And, uh, you know, good luck with that. Uh, and I'll be back. I, I would be surprised if... if Three months from now, he's not back weighing in on some major issues. But he'll, he'll... I think that's half the reason he stayed. In D.C.? And, yeah. And yeah. So his daughter is like the excuse for him to just yeah. stay. Right. right, to stay. That's that's my opinion. <laughs> but so you're not parent. Of course. <laughs> but he will have to be strategic in the way in which he returns, right? Uh, right. And if he wants that approval rating, uh, he's you know he's a legacy guy. He thinks about this. And, he is. He does. Uh, he's pragmatic, if yeah. nothing else. He's super yeah. pragmatic. Sure. But I think in, in some ways, if he really believes in what he says about the peaceful transition of power, 
that that also means he understands stepping back long enough mm-hmm. yeah. to allow that transition to occur in a way that's comfortable. Yeah. Um, I was joking with Bill earlier that the conversation between the two of them on the steps before guiding on Marine One was, so you're like coming back tomorrow, right? Like you're going to go, but like you're going to come back yeah. and like tell me how to do this, <laughs> If right? I have any problems, I can call you. Yeah, right? and like you'll be you here. You're your gonna, right, you're, right, you're going to be living in the residence in the room next door, right? Like we're still going to yeah. like chat about this. But stuff. you know Obama would be like, absolutely, just text me. It's, I'm yeah. good, I'm, I'm there. Good. And Joe would be <laughs> like, can I yeah. back in? Right. Biden's like right in the train right back. Like, is my room yeah, available still? Like, they're almost done with the tunnel to your new house. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, Obama, it's so hard to know, obviously, what he's thinking behind the scenes based on what he's been projecting. But he's so he's always projected such grace yeah. and such respect for democracy and for the institution that he served in and the reasons he served in it that I'm sure there's part of him that feels betrayed by what he thinks might betrayed because of what he thinks might happen to the institution that he served in for so long that he tried so hard to maintain and mm-hmm. make better. So I'm sure there's a certain level of frustration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But on this the same sort of flipping that over is if he has that respect for the institution, he has to let the institution play exactly. itself out, Correct. right? Let Absolutely. it grow. And or or shrink <laughs> or whatever, yeah. right? You know, if it yeah. has if it has wings, let it fly and see kind of what happens to yes. it. But um like a drone. Like a drone, not like a bird, like a drone. You know who I'm really excited for is Michelle. I'm very excited for Michelle Obama to to be able to sort of like breathe for a sec. Because not saying it wasn't hard to be the first Mm -hmm. black president, but can we just talk about how hard it is to be the first black first lady? I give her so much admiration and I'm I'm excited for her to kind of let some of that go now. I mean, she's going to continue to be such an advocate and be... Be, Nick is eye rolling. Be herself. I didn't do the um, eye but uh, but I, I I'm excited for her to no. be able to sort of really be herself again. I hope she can still respect the country after this whole debacle. You know, after you know, because I mean, she's only been proud of it for what eight years? Right, right. About eight I've years. I'm so proud of our country for the first time in eight years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact you know, that they're so young. We were yeah, talking about this earlier. We were, yeah. Both of them, both the Obamas are young. They will they will they're both have away. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, as much as I give the Obamas shit, uh, uh, you know, you I love them. No, honestly, I, but this is this is I think the issue is that you know you may not like the person who's in that particular position, but you had better have respect for that position for the institution, for the institution, yeah. the office. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will never ever say that he disrespected that institution Absolutely. or yeah. conducted himself in a way that was anathema to what. It Good should word. be. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I know. And then, yeah. Well, and, we and I think it's important, it's important that Democrats also embrace that. To right. To say he is, you know, Trump, we may agree or disagree, but he was legitimately elected. Right. But not by their constituents. This sure. is where it right. gets a lot trickier. But even even if Comey and Putin drove this election, the the results are the results, right? Yeah. And we have, to, we have to respect those. Right. And respect those institutions, <laughs> otherwise the whole thing collapses. Right. This is yeah. why the faithless electors never happen, because they yeah. understood that upholding the institution mm-hmm. was more important Correct. than any of these personal things that they may yes. have felt. work within the confines of the system that you are a part of right. and that you've helped to create. Right. And if you're a politician, you should be able to think strategically about that. I agree. Yes. Okay. Should we reflect on beers? Yes, and then... Susie, go, don't I was supposed to go 30 minutes ago, oh, but this, yeah, is, yeah. this right. is more fun than a baby shower. I'm just putting that out there. Oh, that's where you have Dr. to go? Dr. Shot has to go to a baby shower, yeah. 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 Art loves things more fun than a baby shower. <laughs> <laughs> now that I've had my own babies, absolutely. That's the, that's the deepest thought I've heard today. <laughs> I got better beer here than I think I will at the baby shower.
baby shower. All right, so Suzanne, tell us about your second so beer. So I'm reading, 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 uh, reading the label. Your beer label. I'm reading the label on this beer that Bill gave me: Founders PC Pills American Hot Pilsner. The first bite, Nick saw my face was a little questionable. She was not pleased. But now that my cheeks are a little flushed and I'm feeling a little better, um, it's not bad. I'll take it. Yeah. As my voice goes up, I'll take it. I'll take it. Sunshine. Uh, all right. So I had, I started with the Alter Brewer. Did which you was, finish that? I did. The big beer. I finished the uh, 32-ouncer, Galaxy and the Seven Seas. Wonderful. You should all head to Alter Brewery. Maybe they could find, you know, give them some money. Space. That'd be great. Ooh. Yeah. We'll like, we we'll like them on Facebook. Yeah. podcast from the brewery. That'd be yes. great. Um, right? I, 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 I mean, not that I'm yeah. doing it, no. you guys should. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> then my, I had a uh, Sam Adams Hopscape, <laughs> which was uh, also actually, actually very good as well. It was a nice uh, Was it hoppy? Or it was, was it an escape from hoppy because it it's Hopscape? It was moderately hoppy. <laughs> It was the right kind of hoppy. Um, Are there open mic nights around here? <laughs> no, I, I'm pleased with my beer experience today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Phil, you, you, do you, what do you have? Are, are you done? Or are you just still sucking on the ice cubes? Uh, I, I haven't resorted to drinking my ice water yet. Um, uh, yeah, I had old fashions, and I, I'll give you the quick rundown. Here's my recipe. <laughs> <laughs> Educational, this podcast. Two, two teaspoons of simple syrup, a teaspoon of water, two dashes of bitters, ounce and a half of bourbon, twist of orange. Wait, but the cherry. So Didn't you have orange, a cherry? Don't the orange. That makes it two oranges. Didn't you have a cherry? And a, and a, oh, and a maraschino cherry. Okay, yep. did you make your own simple syrup? I did not. Oh! oh. He's not a communist. There's people that make that shit for him. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> All right, Nick, what did you have? I had a standard Sam Adams. I felt Just like that legit, was appropriate. Like, a legit, like, oh. Sam Adams. Oh, you're going, oh, back I like it. I like that. Revolutionary, you're yes. going back. <laughs> Sam Adams was. <laughs> like Kellyanne Conway in her outfit today. Yes, Sam Adams exactly. was like a son of a bitch who, like, just, you know, he, he, was. he was. I like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good choice. So you, you win. You win. Make America great. What are you talking about? Oh, he was entertaining, man. He just, you know, he would cause trouble. I don't think he cared so much about the revolution. It's just like stirring it up, you that know. That's true. Is that, is that your definition of a son of a bitch? Yeah. No, the Trump by by definition is, son is a son of a bitch. Yes. Stirring it up, but not caring about no, the revolution. He, he uh, you know, from what I've learned from the History Channel, he really was. Uh, Drunk history or regular history? <laughs> but, but that shows great too. Yes. In between the Hitler documentary. Yes, I think they yes. should have us on an episode of Drunk History. I think we would be, be awesome. good. I think we'd be hilarious. Yeah. Just yeah. Keep Phil can come in this day. Yes. Yeah. I'll bring my own spotted cow next time. Um, well, yeah, I mean, obviously we went over. Uh, I felt like this was important. So thank you guys for doing this on relatively short notice. It's always nice to have all of you here. Um, and, this is our uh, first real roundtable. It's it good. is our first real yeah. roundtable. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really nice. It's good. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens over. Yes, what? When does the check for my part of the like the the, the, the money that's made on this show up? Yeah, as soon as I get mine. So not anytime <laughs> soon. And you get a percent of the percent based on how many times you get to be on. Yeah. Right. Because okay, that's it. my contract. Yes. That's what mine. Your check gets uh, commuted every time you piss me off. So Uh-oh, you're in trouble. Yeah. Phil, he's the only one who writes it. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, Phil. We're losing money. We're losing. Money big. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, hopefully, we do this again in the near future, and the world hasn't blown itself up. Um, so, far. so yeah. Uh, thanks again, and I guess we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>